Hey everyone, welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another week of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. Today, I have the immense pleasure of having our Spodak doctor lead on the pod, Dr. Alfredo Arauz. I love saying your last name. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Is with us today uh, to continue the conversation that we started months ago with Dr. Mike Paisner regarding the doctor hygiene relationships. And I think that we can never really say enough on this topic. It's always an ongoing conversation and ever-evolving relationship, of course, so let's get straight to it. Yeah. Alfredo, I'd like to introduce you officially and then kind of brainstorm together about some common hygiene and doctor issues. So this, this is the part that's uncomfortable for you because you have to sit around while I talk good things about you, and then you get to just kind of agree and nod your head the entire time, but it's it's probably one of my favorite parts of the podcast. I'll just do that no matter what. <laughs> All right, so Dr. Alfredo is a general and cosmetic dentist who believes that life is too short not to smile. His passion for dentistry started in high school after shadowing and working for a dentist in his hometown of Miami. After graduating high school with an international baccalaureate diploma from Coral Reef Senior High, he attended the University of Florida and graduated with a degree in human nutrition with Dean's List Honors. While at the University of Florida, Dr. Alfredo was published in the Journal of the American Society for Microbiology for his research of the correlation between cardiovascular disease and periodontal disease under Dr. Ann Progolsky-Fox, and Dr. Alfredo then obtained his Doctor of Medical Dentistry degree from the University of Pittsburgh. After graduation, Dr. Alfredo has dedicated his time to enhance his knowledge and skills in all aspects of dentistry with a focus in the Spear Academy, Voice Center, Mish Resnick Implant Institute, and Full Mouth Rehabilitation of NYC to further education in the most current and new cosmetic techniques, as well as, and he also has training under world-renowned cosmetic dentists, Dr. Michael Appa, Dr. David Hornbrook, and Dr. Dean Bafiadis, excuse me, I just butchered that. He is also an advanced Invisalign certified provider with knowledge in simple and complex cases. Dr. Alfredo is also experienced in simple and complex oral surgery, implantology, endodontics, minor periodontal surgery, and laser dentistry, all of which allow him to treat his patients comprehensively for full mouth reconstruction and rehabilitation. He takes pride not only in creating a coveted, beautiful smile, but in giving his patients the best dental experience possible while increasing their overall dental health education and awareness. So just a few things, just a few. Just, just a few. That's like 14 years, just like. Yeah, summarized. Because it's been it was 14 years in practice as of last week. So it's it's uh it's been quick actually. Wow. Those 14 years have flown by. You Congratulations. You know, 14 years later it passed by and you're like, how did I graduate so long ago? It makes me feel old at the same time. It's That's it's an, it's incredible to look back and see your scope of work, how much you've grown even postgraduate, you know, like yeah. the extra things that you've done. Well, so we've been working together for five years and all that growth happens within that time frame too. Even for has you. been exponential. Yeah. I can 
to that. I, it's been exponential, I promise you. So your education and your continuing education is obviously impressive. And I want to point out that you're not only a phenomenal clinical dentist, but you have also really honed whatever skills are involved in developing strong relationships with our hygiene team. That's really what I want us to talk about today, because as, as important as the clinical dentistry and clinical hygiene are, there's so many providers, I'm sure, in hygiene and dentistry who are great clinicians, but continue to struggle or suffer in their jobs due to strained relationships with their counterparts, right? So yeah. fortunately, this is so prevalent on dental social media forums today, like issues and strain between dentists and hygienists. So, you know, we hear things um, about, this is, this is kind of a newer thing in my realm in the last few years, but hearing about the hygiene-free dental model and how hygienists are, you know, prima donnas and princesses who are asking for too much or do too little. And then we have the issue of, trust and autonomy, communication issues, a general lack of appreciation for what each party does and a lack of empathy for the weight that we carry respectively. And I think that there are very valid reasons for that, our experiences and our reasons for coming into practice or like, for instance, dentists coming to own a practice versus a hygienist, probably most likely in most states, not being in that practice ownership scenario. It just sure. creates kind of like a, a different um, worldview or, or a different come from where like, maybe we're not exactly aligned in why we're doing what we're doing, how we got into this, what our end game goals are. So I think that that's where some of the disconnect comes from, but I'm interested to hear from you, you know, what do you think some of the most common problems are in our industry and the doctor hygienist dynamic or relationship? I think the main one is communication, right? So looking at it from a provider's perspective and also working in a lot of practices in my tenure, 14 years, I've worked for several offices. I even owned my own practice when I was way younger right out of school. Now I would say the biggest issue is communication, not only on the dentist part to the hygienist, but from the hygienist to the dentist. And why is that? Sometimes it's fear, right? Like the hygienist, doesn't want to speak up about what their thoughts are, what the treatment planning that they think that they're presenting to the patient is, and they're worried that the dentist is either going to belittle them or, or doesn't trust their judgment or trust their education enough to let them have that voice. And I think ultimately it always, in any situation, it's always going to hone down on lack of communication, whether it's one side or the other. And <clears throat> I find that a lot in our profession that a lot of people will complain and argue both sides. And at the end of the day, it's because one person didn't speak up and the other person didn't speak up and really talked about how they felt so that could, they could work like a unit. And I think ultimately that's what's the most important is for any hygienist to feel that they're in a working environment or find the working environment more importantly that they feel that autonomy and that respect to be able to voice their opinion. Because I think that it's a team approach. We're both providers in a practice that care for our patients mutually. And that mutual trust needs to be there and the mutual communication on both parties needs to occur. Right, yeah, no, I agree. And I think sometimes it is, you know, communication or just straight up ineffective communication, unwillingness to be transparent about what our concerns actually are, or actually are struggling, you know, for, for fear, you know, there is, 
realistically, it makes sense that we have insecurities, right? Like if, if someone is the dentist and or boss and or practice owner, like it, it probably is a very uncomfortable place to be if you feel that the practice isn't isn't up to the standard that you would like it to be, isn't producing what you would like it to be, and then letting that be known among your staff, right? That can that can cause fear. It can cause um, it can cause kind of other issues, right? And yeah. kind of the same thing on the other side, you know, hygiene, just being vulnerable and saying like I don't understand something, or I do understand, but I feel like you misinterpret my evaluation, or you misjudge or undervalue my evaluation. Like hard conversations, but I think. You know, when we talk about finding a practice that's the best fit for someone, these are the kinds of conversations that I think have to be had, you know, yeah. and when discerning whether or not you are currently in the right practice for yourself. It's not a matter of just like saying this is hard. We have miscommunication. It's time to go somewhere else, because what's likely going to happen is you're going to carry your own um preconceived notions and miscommunications and whatever went wrong here, you're probably going to take into a new situation. So it's it's always the best thing, I think, to try and work something out and try and come from a place of transparency and just as much honesty as you can muster while still maintaining a level of professionalism. Because if you don't, you'll never know what the answer is. Maybe it's something that could have been worked out. You know, maybe there could have been problem solving, brainstorming. You could have collaborated on a, on a solution to a problem, you know, but you won't know unless you talk about it openly. And it's very uncomfortable. A lot of people don't want to do it. I want to know what you think about how doctors and hygienists misunderstand each other the most. So what are the common misunderstandings that might lead to the resentment or a bumpy relationship dynamic? I think some of the most common <clears throat> is having a hygienist treatment plan, like let's say a deep cleaning. I do it on quotations because every office is going to have a different interpretation of what that means. Mm-hmm. And there might be a lack of education on the dentist part, and there also might be a lack of education on the hygienist's part post-graduation, right? Because mm -hmm. we all know that what we learn in school, whether it's hygiene or dental school, that's the most basic scope. It's really on you to really enhance your scope and enhance your skills in order to really see the broader picture. And I think the biggest misunderstanding is gonna be you treatment planning something and the dentist not taking your word for it because their word is what matters. And they feel that if they go with what you say, their feet are going to have stepped on. And that's, that's a big problem. Right. And piggybacking on what you were talking about earlier, this is a professional relationship. So when you are in the search of a practice that is going to cater to the type of hygiene that you want to practice, you really need to hone in on seeing if one, they have a hygiene department that's built according to the systems that you agree with, right? Because every office is going to have different hygiene systems, if any. I've been in many offices that don't have any, unfortunately. It's just mm -hmm. haphazard, right? And then two, that you really practice in the scope that you're going to practice and prove it to that provider, even if you, you fear of doing anything. At the end of the day, you are responsible for your output. You're gonna get more patients coming back to you time and time again, if you give them the best care possible. So really understanding that is huge. And then communicating anything that might upset you or let's 
and, and that goes back to the first thing, just communication. But the biggest misunderstanding is I trim and plan X, he trim and plan Y, where do they get together is really important. And that's why the conversation prior to joining that practice needs to be had so that you both are on the same page. Right. Yeah. Um, how do you think like this? So this isn't an official question in, in the list here, but I'm thinking how how can a hygienist who is in a place where he or she is in a practice where there isn't like a, a perio regimen, there, there's nothing that's calibrated, there's not like a system in place. How can a hygienist go about partnering with a dentist to create a system like that if they don't feel like they want to just autonomously do that or maybe they don't have well, the, 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 the right or the authority within their practice to create it on their own? Like how could they best approach a dentist to say, hey, I want collaboration here and I want us to be on the same page. How can we make this happen? Well, one, if they're listening to this podcast, they're already one step ahead of the game, right? Because they're listening to hygienists that practice at the highest level. And I think if they hear the way the systems run within this podcast, within the hygienists that are a part of this podcast or doctors that come onto this podcast, they'll understand what's really what's necessary. Mm -hmm. So it's talking to the dentist and be like, hey, I've been listening to this podcast or I know of this practice, their hygiene is amazing. It's producing amazing numbers. It's seeing great results for their patients. I think this is something worth talking about. Is this something that's worth it to you? And frankly, mm -hmm. for anybody that owns a practice that cares about being a dentist and doing what's right for their patient, if the office is lacking the systems and lacking the hygiene department to be able to do that, and it's giving them basically a, here's, here's a little grapevine, you know, how to do it, and they don't take it, then maybe that's not for you, right? You need to be able to understand that, yeah, some, some people got to work. They got to put food on the table. And sometimes I've been in those situations where <clears throat> I've been in a practice where I wasn't happy at, right? I knew that I, the owner and myself didn't have a mutual understanding of what's ethically right and also what's what I think is optimal dental care because some owners unfortunately don't care okay they're just there for numbers mm -hmm. so if you could present it in a way where it's like look this is not only going to help boost ROI return on investment but also help patient satisfaction increasing reviews giving them the best output possible so that the practice could flourish that's the biggest key because as I know we'll discuss later, the hygiene department is the heartbeat to a practice. Without it, the practice is not viable. As a matter of fact, when dentists buy practices, the first thing that most people ask in an audit, whether they're using a broker themselves is, what are the active patient base in hygiene? What is hygiene producing on a year basis gross and net so that we could figure out if this office has room for growth or if it's stagnant or what's going on because if it has a haphazard hygiene department most of the times those offices don't do fare so well so one of the other misunderstandings that hygienists and doctors have are you know the sometimes there is going to be a power dynamic issue so meaning that either there's a dentist that has a chip on their shoulder or a hygienist that's upset about you know, something or the owner and employee 
issue is a big problem. Whereas it shouldn't be viewed that way. It shouldn't be viewed like I'm your boss, I'm the doctor, you're the hygienist. It, it should never be viewed in that light. It should be viewed as we're teammates trying to do both do something to do what's best for our patient. They give them the best oral health care and the best experience possible. Because ultimately that's how you build a practice. That's how you build a brand that goes above and beyond the community will speak about and all of those things. And I think that's really, really important is understanding that the dynamic needs to be mutually done, not you're the dentist, you're the full force of it all. It has to be both people giving insights into that patient's health to get them the best results. Because there's things that sometimes you'll talk to me about and I'm like, oh, like, absolutely, let's do that. And then it's like amazing, right? And But unfortunately, some old school mentality is no, that's forget what you're saying. I don't want you talking. It's what I say. And it's my practice. And it's my license and it's the highway. And they forget that you have a license too. Right. So I think at the end, it's both doing what's best for the patient. That's what should supersede any ego, anything in dentistry. And ultimately that's what leads to results when both can really hone in and be mutually tied together and understanding that this is a professional relationship that's helping your whole patient base. And when both parties could see that and communicate effectively, oof, sky's the limit. For sure. And I think, I, you know, just to piggyback on that, I think whenever a dentist has that come from or that is like their value system, it creates a situation where they're, they're their own worst enemy and their hygienists become worst enemy too, instead of like your biggest proponent and your biggest practice advocate, which is what well, we it makes you guys, it makes it jaded. It makes you jaded. Jaded. And, and also it creates hygienists who come to work and turn their brains off because yes. they are not allowed to work, you know? So it's, it's self-defeating for the patients, for the practice, for productivity. So these, these doctors might be sitting there going, it's my practice. I'll have it my way. The hygienist will do what I'm going to say. But keep in mind, that's going to create a person who's not going to use their autonomy, not going to use their brain, not going to be empowered to do anything positive for your practice. They're going to be under your thumb. They're going to be micromanaged. That's not, that's not a, a and I've seen that's effective. I've seen that firsthand, right? With a very micromanaging owner doc as an associate and the hygiene department was subpar. And they came to work and they weren't happy. You could tell that they didn't want to be there. And the patient knows that, you know, they feel that energy. So when someone is able to be given autonomy to say, I'm going to practice what I went to school for that I love to do, that I can make a difference doing, man, that feels good. But when someone reels you out of that, that's really debilitating. Right. And then you see those those hygienists that have worked their careers in a practice like that. And let's say for whatever reason they leave or they get let go and they come into a they try to come into a practice that runs full steam. That's really bad for them because now they picked up all these bad habits and it becomes a problem and they'll never quite settle back into an office like they should have from the get go. Because it's really, really important in those beginning formative years to really be nitpicky 
of where you're practicing so that you can get your skills can get honed in because then it becomes very difficult because you'll feel that that subpar treatment or let me do this basic profi when you know it should have been an SRP or an SPT cleaning, you know, those things, those things, they, they wash them away. There's inner proximal radiographic calculus. And they're like, I'm just going to do a profi because the patient said so, or because the insurance said so. No, that you should be able to stand your ground and be like, I'm not going to, do what's not right for this patient. And then that goes towards education, not only educating your doc about this stuff or the whys, but also your patient, right? Because ultimately that's what's the most important is educating your patient so that they understand why they're getting that treatment. And also if your doctor is giving you pushback, talking to them and being like, look, I need to talk to you about this. And frankly, like I've said before, if you're in a situation where you don't feel like you have that kind of autonomy, maybe it's time for you to look for something that does. For sure. Um, as a doctor, what do you think are some of the most powerful things a hygienist can do to earn your trust? Consistency. I think in any aspect in dentistry, whether it's an associate another doc, an oral surgeon, a periodontist, a hygienist, an assistant, anybody within the practice. I feel like consistency in what you do, trying to do the best every day for your patients, no matter Mm -hmm. what, coming in, even if you have the whole house on fire at home and you're having a bad issue and making sure that your patient doesn't even feel that and get treated the right way and giving it your all is what will really give you your trust. And also treatment planning correctly, right? Being consistent with that. Being able to look at your radiographs, look at your pocket depths, look at a patient, seeing what's working, seeing what's not working, come up with plans and then being effective, that's key. Especially if you're consistent, then it becomes one of those situations where like we have in our practice, you guys talk to us, we look it over and it's, we, we trust you implicitly. Mm-hmm. So, and that's when, that's when it becomes really fun because that's when the team really gels, right? That's when it becomes a well-doiled machine. And that's when both sides benefit, honestly. Yeah, I agree. And I want to just elaborate a little bit on that and kind of share from a hygienist perspective to any doctors listening. Like, so to earn our trust, I think like hygiene trust, I think the biggest thing is we really want to be heard and we want our education and assessment of the patient to be valued and respected. So I'll give an example. I remember the first few offices I worked in, um, there were there were a few dentists who you know dismissed my findings on a few instances. The dentist would cite something like, well, you know, the insurance isn't going to cover a scaling and a crown. So we just can't do the scaling, which of course we know makes absolutely no sense. It's letting insurance drive the treatment plan, which is negligence at the very least. But besides that, you know, the major attitude or message in that remark is hygiene isn't as valuable as dentistry and I don't value your assessment. So when a dentist does that, or when the dentist did that, he taught me that I shouldn't waste my time assessing the patient because my assessment would be for nothing. It would be dismissed. So even though I know where my values are and that I'm an ethical clinician and I trust my own clinical judgment at the end of the day, my license and scope of practice do technically fall under the umbrella of what 
my dentist authorizes me to do. There's that whole supervision thing, you know, mm-hmm. instance, the dentist degraded my findings in front of the patient. He sent mm-hmm. a message to her that what I said was unimportant. So now she's not even going to be presented with the option of doing the work that she really needs. Qualified himself in the practice out of production, right? So there's a lot of issues with this scenario, as we know, right? So I think from a hygiene perspective, it's so important to us that we know that we can trust you to come in and have our backs and support our treatment plans, reiterate our education, so on and so forth. And that builds trust with patients, like you mentioned before, exponentially, when they can sense that we have a good working relationship and can trust each other. And also, you know, it, it keeps the hygienist willing to continue working so very hard to obtain yeah. diagnostics and continue to assess each patient thoroughly, that consistency that you're referring to. And this is how we discover disease processes and how dentistry and hygiene services are even scheduled or put on the books. You know, um, it, it falls back on our assessment and our diagnostics and then being able to share those things with you and then coming full circle, like showing the same team vibe to the patient. Like you come in yeah. have back, I go in, have your back. We reiterate each other's findings. And of course, this is all with respect to the fact that my license does fall, fall under your license, right? Sure. Totally understood. But now we've got this mutual working relationship, this mutual trust where there isn't really a question when it comes to my treatment plan anymore because there's been that consistency over time. But I think some of the things that just undermine and keep keep dental dentist and hygiene relationships from arriving at a place where they can they can work like that is that like undermining tone. Of course. And and going back to that, you know, again, this falls on the education side for the provider. Here they are agreeing to do a crown on a potential tooth that has periodontal disease with bone loss. And they're basically building a house on something with a poor foundation. Mm -hmm. That's something that should be level one understanding that the bone and gum and the architecture that surrounds your tooth is number one, because then anything else that you put on top of that will crumble if it's not good. So that needs to be on is there because they shouldn't be planning a crown for example when they have a whole nother thing going on with their periodontia right so because that should come first if a patient comes to me for an fmr or even a set of veneers and they need an spt i'm not touching them until they get their hygiene done because that'll lead to failures marginal age bone loss, recession, and then the margins are showing, and then they're complaining, why is my margin showing? Why did I get receded gums? You know, this has to go on the dentist's part as well. So a lot of the times us as docs don't want to look in the mirror and say, maybe I should look into why things aren't being successful. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't work that way. It should be mutually together. Like, hey, this is what's necessary. And this is what's going to lead to amazing outcomes for everyone. You're going to get great hygiene outcomes, great restorative outcomes, and everything works together. Because it all should be very well treatment planned. It definitely is a symphony where everything needs to be working together. 100%. 100%. So I know Dr. Craig has said many times, and I've heard you say this as well. We touched on it earlier, but can you explain why you think that hygiene is the heartbeat of the dental practice and what that means to you? So the hygiene department is the heartbeat of the practice. Why? You see the most, you see that patient the most. If they're healthy, twice a year. If they're not, 
four, if not more times a year. Mm-hmm. So you're actively building this relationship more than the actual dentist does. So for example, if you have a patient as a dentist that comes in full mouth of wear, feelings that have been breaking left and right for years, <clears throat> crowns that you'll see are deteriorating. And I, as the provider, have talked to them about they need to get things done. You have talked to them about things that need to get done. If there's that mutual level of respect between the hygienist and the dentist, and both are on the same page, and you're both communicating to this person all the time, especially you as a hygienist, because you're seeing them over and over, and really pointing out the differences that you see in time, because the patient's not going to really evaluate if it just happened. They're going to evaluate in the long term, taking photography, radiography, iTero scans, what have you. If you're constantly educating them, which as a hygienist, all of you do, and you see them more than we do, um, because as a POE, what's a periodic exam? Once a year, comprehensive exam, once a year. You guys see them so much, you could educate over and over. And if the relationship's perfect, those patients will more than likely say yes to doing the treatment they need to get done. Why? Because the hygienist has really played that role. Also, going back to periodic exams, looking over the patient's mouth, finding pathology, finding any sort of restorative caries, uh, swelling, infection. You're there more than we are, pointed out to your doctor so then they could evaluate, have the communication of, hey, I found X, Y, and Z. That leads to more restorative. That leads to surgery. That leads to treatment that maybe wasn't done before or that you miss and now you caught it and are able to take care of it, right? So it's the heartbeat of the practice in the sense that it's the major funnel of restorative and treatment for any patient in any practice. If you don't have hygiene, your practice is basically dead on the water because you're not running a full comprehensive practice. If you're a specialty office like an oral surgery or endodontics or ortho, who cares? But if you're running a comprehensive dental practice, you need hygiene because that's what helps you fully encompass all of it that we need in order to treat our patients and see them more readily to prevent things from getting worse or catching things before they start. Love that. I love that. Um, since we're kind of talking about how, you know, dentistry and hygiene obviously comes out of the hygiene operation, it should when we're doing it right, right? When there's that trust and autonomy there. Um, how do you think effective treatment planning and presentation look like in a hygiene operatory? Like how can we best, I guess, support you in your co-diagnosis? I think when a good example is how we do it in our practice. That's what I got. I think whenever you're doing a comprehensive exam, there's no other way that I would want to do an exam than how we do it currently. What that means is pre-treatment consultation, ask the patient about their concerns, tell the patient exactly what they're going to expect on that appointment, especially that it's going to take 90 minutes, what have you, especially if they're doing hygiene after. And also explain to them is that the hygienist is going to take a series of photos. You're going to take a series of radiographs. They're also going to measure your gums to see what type of cleaning you'll need because not everyone's going to be a basic cleaning depending on those measurements, the radiographs, the photos, 
and how the bite works, which will scan you with an itero, right? To do a wellness scan, all of those factors play a role in how to treatment plan. So now the patient is prepared, okay, I'm gonna get all this done in the chair. Now as a hygienist and which something that you ladies all do so amazing is then you do that, exactly. So, and then you educate the patient as you go, showing them their photos, showing them, because nothing's more powerful than showing a patient a, fo- a photograph of the calculus sublingual, you know, in the back of their mouth. They, they could see that. They could physically appreciate that that's there. They can't say no. Also, if you have an itero, you can see that too. And if there's interproximal calculus here, graphically that's very large, they could also see that. A lot of the times they'll squint their eyes and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. But <laughs> the power of photography is very important. And then discussing your findings to the patient and then coming to us after you're done with your assessment, explaining to us what you saw and then us piggybacking when you have that mutual respect and trust like we talked about, especially if you're consistent and us looking at the measurements ourselves real quick and making sure that everything's in line and that we're both on the same page and then you saying that again to the patient so that they understand not only did she tell me, my doctor told me the same thing, it's, it's true, I need it. That's how you really will take care of your patient the right way. Because a patient's not gonna listen to you the first time, they're not gonna listen to you the second time, they'll listen to you the third time. So there always has to be a three-way explanation of everything to the patient. And I make it a habit of explaining it three times. So you stated it, I stated it, and then I'll say it again before I leave the room. I'll say, okay, I know that's a lot of information. Let me take a sec back. Do you have any questions? And if they don't have any questions, okay, great. Let me just go over it one more time. Because then it really solidifies it in their head. Mm-hmm. And after that, I communicate that with my treatment coordinator. I know I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll probably go into that handoff. No, this is perfect. It's a perfect yeah. cycle. So the best way for it to flow naturally is after all the diagnostics are done, after everything's been taken care of, and the patient has zero questions, you really need to make sure that you really hone in on looking at your patient, looking at their body language, making sure that there's no hesitation. Because a lot of times they'll give you unver- like nonverbal cues that they still don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And that takes time, that takes skill to kind of develop. But once you really have explained everything to them and they really have no questions, you go to the treatment coordinator. I, as the doc- doctor in the practice, I tell my treatment coordinator everything exactly how I just explained it to my patient in the order and the sequence I explained it to my patient because they're going to remember that. Oh, but my doctor didn't tell me I needed this. He said this. So make sure you're not missing anything. If for some reason you catch something, when you go back to your desk, go back to your patient and say, hey, look, I was going over your radiographs one more time. I'm going to add this and you can see it and explain it again. If they have any questions, then tell it to your treatment coordinator. Why is that important? Now your treatment coordinator knows exactly what you want in the sequence that you want for your patient's treatment plan. And there's going to be no back and forth, especially if you already talked to your patient. But the key is your treatment coordinator shouldn't be there to sell your treatment. Let me repeat that. Your treatment coordinator shouldn't be selling treatment. They're not there to close you. 
You should do that yourself. Mm-hmm. They should just be there to go over finances, to go over insurances, if they're taking insurance, and to just help your patient with the financial side of it so that then they get things done. They might not get everything done in that one appointment, but what's important is that you treat the patient hygiene, acute needs. Obviously, if they're there for pain, take care of that first because that's always the most important, et cetera, et cetera. But the handoff needs to be correct. And then once the patient is with your treatment coordinator, leave the room, always ask, tell your treatment coordinator, I'm here if you need me. Right before the patient steps into the treatment coordinator's room, be like, do you have any further questions for me? I'll be here. If you have any questions, please let me know. And then I step off and then I let my treatment coordinator do her thing. In my case, it's, uh, she's amazing. Ashley Callis, she's awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, if they have any questions, she'll come get me. If they don't, they usually don't. And then after that's done, I'll go back to my treatment coordinator and then I say, how'd that go? Did they accept treatment? What sequence did they take it on? Let's say the patient for whatever reason says, you know, they just wanted to go home and think about it. Well, that's a good opportunity to one, ask her, what could I have done different? Ask questions. You know, did the patient have any, you know, questions or were they concerned about something or maybe they didn't understand something that great? And that's a great opportunity not only for hygiene, but for the doctor to then use their time. Because what I'll normally do is in a situation like that is I'll give it a few days and then I'll call the patient and be like, hey, loved having you in the practice. Hope you had a great experience. Just wanted to call you and see if you had any questions about the treatment plan we discussed or any concerns. And 10 times out of 10, they're going to tell you. And then you'll be able to answer your questions right and then they'll come back and it makes it for a very because no doctor is going to call no hygienist is going to call a patient they'll really really appreciate that call and i think that's very very important so that whole dance is a symphony in order to do things the right way so that your patient is educated treated and cared for and that's how you give them what we call in our practice our wow factor right that's how we give them that wow experience in order for them to really feel heard, because you need to let them ask questions and speak. And, but then not only are the patients being heard, but you're being heard. I'm being heard, everyone's working dynamically and it's so awesome to watch when it's done very, very well at the high level. I love that. And thank you for the concise kind of, in a nutshell explanation of the handoff looks like. And, you know, between the hygienist and the doctor, the doctor, the hygienist, the hygienist to the treatment plan coordinator, like full circle, because I feel like if there is not a plan in place for how that should go within your respective practice, it's so easy for it to become a game of telephone where the patient is confused, you're, the hygienist is confused, the doctor might even be confused about the hygiene treatment plan. You know, we've got to have the, the communication channels. Sure. Hammered down. And I love the circle back at the end, how you go back and ask, how did that go? You know, because it just helps you in the future to calibrate and, and deliver things yeah. better so that they're more effectively delivered, so that people accept more treatments, so that they really get the point, so that they fully understand their questions are fully answered. And I also want to, you know, point out that I, I love what you said, and it's so true that the treatment plan coordinator is not there to sell the treatment. They are there to talk solely finances, figure out how can That's we it. make this doable for the patient. All the clinical questions need to be answered by the time they leave our operatory. And repetition is the key. So I love to 
you know, get you guys ready for your exam by, you know, educating the patient before you ever walk into the room about my own findings regarding, you know, potential dental work, potential disease, potential, um, you know, hygiene therapies that we need to do. I, I give an overview and show them evidence of all the disease processes or issues that, that are going on. And if I'm not sure what to say, I'll say, you know, I'm curious to hear about what Dr. Alfredo thinks about this. This is a problem. Do you see the problem? I'm curious to hear about what Dr. So-and-so will say about this. Let's, let's go ask him. And then, so I deliver all that to the patient. Then I go and tell you what we've discussed. Then you come in, reiterate all of it and so on and so forth. It's all the reiteration and the fact that the patient can see that we're on the same page. Mm -hmm. Close treatment yep. and moving forward. Yep. Love that. Um, I want to kind of, I want to switch gears here and ask uh, for hygienists who are considering working on new products or they want new instruments, what's the most effective way to ask a doctor, you know, whether you're the owner doc or someone who's just involved in, I don't know, office management or something, what, what information do you as a doctor want from us in order to say yes to those things? I want research. I'm okay. very heavy in CE in my career, you know, doing COIS and SPEAR and all these others that are heavy research-based. I want to see what's the latest technology, how effective is it, similar to when we started Paraprotect, for example, right? At the time, it was very de novo. Everyone was, there was worried about it. But then when you really hone in on the science, and then now clinically, years later, we've been using them for a long time now that's super effective, right? So it's not only seeing clinical evidence via photographs that are existent, but also give me some journals. Let me see what they're talking about. Let me see how effective it really is so that then I can invest in that product because ultimately I want to make sure that what I'm recommending is something that I would use on myself, on my parents, on my family members. So I think it's looking really deep. It's not just saying, oh, let's use carry-free toothpicks. Why? Oh, it has hydroxyapatite, it has a high pH level. You know, those are all amazing things, right? So, but there's research backed, right? So I think that's important to understand is seeing what's effective, especially if it's a newer product that's in the market and really researching it so that you can present it to your doctor. So then they could then weigh the benefits. Is this really gonna help the patients? What's the ROI on that? Is it gonna help? You know, because some products are very, very expensive and there's, you know, sometimes it's unrealistic for a patient to pay $50 for a tube of toothpaste and their demographic. It right. really also changes, you know what I mean? How your practice is set up. If it's heavy HMO Medicaid practice, a $40 toothpaste is not going to run that well. You know, you have to be realistic with that as well. So you kind of have to look at all the factors. You know, you might need to prescribe things, you know, like that. So looking at the type of practice that you are running and the hygiene that you are running is also a big proponent on that. And instrumentation, you all should be having, we all know that there's offices that have dull instruments everywhere, you know, and it's really explaining to them is, look, I'm not really being effective in removing calculus. It's just burnishing it and it's just staying in place and it's causing the patient more problems, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So nothing better than sharp instruments to get the job done right, you know? Plan twice, cut once. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes. Um, okay, so what do you, getting kind of personal here, what do you appreciate most about our hygiene team? 
I appreciate our collaborations because I've been in offices that I'll be honest with you, I didn't, the hygiene department, the one or two people working there, I think they fell into that problem where they were working at subpar practices their whole lives and just practice subpar. And I just, not that I didn't respect what they were doing, is I just knew they weren't doing it right. Because they'd say that they did an NSBT and I'd take a radiograph and there was calculus everywhere. How can you tell me you did that when I literally took it the day after and I looked like that? Right. So <clears throat> I love that we not only talk to talk, we walk to walk. And I could, without question, say I trust all of you implicitly with my mouth. I mean, Brittany, you're my hygienist, so it is, it is what it is. I know I'm due. So, <laughs> yeah. so I trust you guys implicitly with my friends and my family. And I just love our work dynamic that we're able to talk to each other. And I think it's being open to having that communication. That's key because <clears throat> going back to my growth within the practice for many, many, many years, I basically was a single doctor in a single practice, whether I was an associate, but I was just by myself. So when I went into Spodak and I was in a big group environment, it was kind of like a whirlwind. You're there with a lot of amazingly talented professionals all in one room that have a lot of opinions. And a lot of the time I would have hygienists that didn't feel comfortable coming to me because for some reason I had like a resting bitch face or whatever it was. But then over the years, they've learned to just talk to me about it. You know, they don't need to be fearful. And it's being open to that communication. And I love when something's upsetting you or any of the hygienists about anybody within the practice, you feel open enough to talk to that individual, right? And then there's that autonomy to be able to have communication, to fix problems, to get the best outcome for the patient. Because ultimately that's the most important. Sometimes you need to have sweaty back conversations that aren't yeah. feel good. But those sweaty back conversations, believe it or not, they build trust. They build, you know, respect within, the, within that. And I think that's so important. And it's something that I love about that is I think as a group, we all work very well together. We all have amazing days. I'm not saying that some days shit doesn't hit the fan and everyone has their bad days. But at the end of the day, we're always there for the same goal. And that's to treat our patients the best we can. Because let's be honest, our patients is our boss. It's not your dentist. It's not anybody else, a corporate owner. It's not any of that. But the patient is your boss. Because without that patient in the chair, we're, we're nothing. We don't have a job. They are, your income is that patient. And believe it or not, unfortunately for some docs, don't think of it that way. The better you treat your patient, the better you treat your hygienist to give them optimal uh, service. That patient's going to do word of mouth referrals and you're going to get more and more. And the ROI will just do itself. And that's why it's also the heartbeat of the practice. So speaking of, you mentioned sweaty back conversations. Speaking of one sweaty back conversation, when it comes to asking for a raise, what mm. is effective way to do this from a dentist's perspective. So of course, a hygienist asking their dentist, like what information do you need from us in order to say yes? Um, 
And I know that we we don't want to come across as entitled. I know we want to explain our value, but what information do you need from us that would propel you or encourage you to say yes to a race? I think, again, going back to being consistent in your numbers. So if you're consistently producing 1500 to $2,000 to $2,500 a day, and they're paying you X percentage, and you know that you could do better somewhere else, you need to present that. I mean, they need to see the value of what they have. If you have a hygienist that's producing 300, 400, 500 in some in our practice, I mean, there's doctors that don't even do that themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have that kind of value, you need to do whatever it takes to keep that person in your practice because a lot of times those patients are coming in for them, you know? That's when ego needs to go out the door and they need to understand that. So if you're consistent with your numbers, you're a high producing hygienist, I think that's when it's really a no brainer. But if you're producing not high numbers, 500 a day, and you're just basically meeting your minimum, you know, daily requirement or just meeting salary. I mean, no one's going to give you a raise if you're just basically there to clock in and clock out. I think that goes for any profession, right? Yeah. If you go above and beyond the call of duty and you present it to your practitioner and like, hey, listen, I've been doing this year over year. I, I would like X. It would behoove me to not give them that, right? Especially if the practice has it. Some practices don't run that well. Let's also be frank, right? So it depends on how high the overhead of the practice is. Can they even afford that? But if you're a high producing dentist, that practice should be doing really well, right? So um, just do your best, kick butt, and be consistent with your numbers. And I think that'll really pave the way because at the end of the day, that's what's going to matter. Okay. If there was one thing you wanted doctors to take away from this episode, what would it be? Listen to your hygiene team. Be a little bit more open that they have a voice that they too got educated in something that helps change lives. We could save teeth with hygiene. We know that that's proven. We could stabilize teeth with hygiene, even with moderate bone loss, right? So allowing yourself to understand that they're your teammate, they're not trying to make you feel belittled as a dentist is very, very important and it'll just help catapult the practice when they both could see finally eye to eye and forget all these Facebook groups and all the back and forth and all the drama that exists in all that world. I think it's just a matter of both sides finally saying we need each other mutually to do the one thing that we're, that we swore an oath to do, which was to do no harm and to treat those patients with the best outcome possible. And that's how you get things done. I love it. And then if there was one thing that you wanted a hygienist or hygienists to take away from this episode, what would that be? I think it's being comfortable enough to speak and to then be heard. Don't shut yourself out. Let yourself be heard. Say what you feel. Have that sweaty back conversation if you feel that the practice is running at a subpar hygiene department and you can do better. Prove it with podcasts like this, 
with other practices, how they run it, show them how you would run that system in order to maximize benefits for the practice and the patients. And you'll be a surprise how quickly they listen when they see if, you know, they'll, they'll know. But just speak, speak your truth. Be, you're, you're also so important to the practice that I want you to know that from someone that leads a group of 10 doctors that all my doctors trust all the hygienists implicitly. And I feel that that just got built on trust and respect and mutual communication. And it has to be both sides. So speak your truth. I love that. And then is there anything that you feel we didn't cover on this topic? I know we could probably talk for hours about Dr. Hygiene Dynamics, but what are your final thoughts or what do you want to leave us with on this? I think at the end of the day, if you're comfortable with your clinical skills, keep honing them in with your CE, even if you're uncomfortable. If you're uncomfortable, even more so. Go to courses, Bulletproof Hygiene, take courses with, you know, the summit for Bulletproof and listen to Teresa and Brittany and all their, their summit lectures. They're fantastic. I think it's really eye-opening to sit there and, and watch the depth of knowledge that is out there for hygiene doing research, going to Instagram and looking at periodontal, following hygienists on Instagram like yourself and seeing what's out there, seeing what the, what you can achieve, right? And knowing that you can too do that. And then being able to be open enough to communicate with your doctors and then ultimately that leads to you giving that same kind of energy to your patients. and doing what's best for them right so that's my take home i love it thank you well thank you so much for joining us today really appreciate it that's great that's awesome (laughs) it's been a real pleasure and i'm so thankful to work alongside someone who really gets and appreciates hygiene really values hygienists and understands the importance and intricacy of what we do every day we all appreciate you i'm sure i speak for everyone who's listening right now Um, And thank you everyone for joining us this week. And please feel free to connect with us further by downloading the Mighty Networks app and searching Bulletproof Hygiene. Our live annual summit is also approaching rapidly and it's taking place this year in Vegas on August 11th and 12th. If you want more information on this incredible two-day event, go to bulletproofsummit.com and there you'll see information on summit topics and sessions offered as well as group rates and how to register. It's an event for the entire team from hygienists to doctors to assistants, admin team, and office managers. We've heard <laughs> changing and life-changing stories post prior summits. So we really, really hope to see you all there. We hope you have a great week. Thank you so much. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.